Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. How many of you are ready for temperatures above 55 degrees? <laughs> I remember a few weeks ago looking, I'm, I'm like a weather watcher. I remember a few weeks ago looking at the weather and it was like, oh, look, it's going to warm up. And then like a day later, the forecast shifted and it's been rainy and cold ever since. I know every, almost everybody in here knows what's potentially coming next week, right? Like 60 degrees, 70 degrees, sun, sunshine. I'm excited for it. <laughs> um, but regardless of the weather, we're glad that you're here today. We're glad to have the, this time to gather every Sunday. Um, one brief commercial before uh, we, we jump into some, some conversation here is uh, not this week, but next week on Wednesday nights, we'll be starting a new group for men. Uh, that'll be meeting every Wednesday at 7 p.m. here in the church building. And this men's group in particular is uh, going to be an opportunity for guys to build relationship with each other, but to look at, at how our faith intersects with being a man. What does it mean to be a father and a husband and a friend and a co-worker? How does God's word inform us of that? And so this is just going to be an opportunity for you to be known, which for men, like we, we tend to have our guards up. But we'll, we'll let people know us like only so deep, like maybe our accomplishments or what we do for work, but to know our hearts and to, to be able to share our stories together. And so if you're not connected, we have some of these groups already that exist. Most of them are connected with our community groups. But if, you, if you're a man that just, and you know that you need to be with other men, um, I would just invite you to, to be a part of that. You can talk to me or, or fill out a connection card and we'll get you some more information about that. So that's coming up in just a couple weeks. We'll start that. Um, there's, this, there's this quote, maybe you've heard it before. It's from an ancient philosopher named Socrates. And he says, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. I think there's some truth to that from Socrates. Another spin we could put on that that I think would be relevant for why we're here this morning is the unexamined faith is not worth believing. The unexamined faith is not worth believing. Like, if you haven't thought about why you believe what you believe, then why? What's the point? If you just accepted something that was passed down to you without really considering its effects on your life, then what is it worth? I ask this question because for over a year now, we've been asking kind of three prominent questions as we've been in God's Word every Sunday. Uh, Most of these questions we've been asking in the context of Mark's gospel. And the questions have been, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? From what he says about himself, what God's Word contains, who is Jesus? The other question is, based on who Jesus is, what does it mean to follow him? And then based on that, What are we inviting people into? So if you were to to invite somebody to know Jesus, what's the first image that comes to your mind? So these are the three questions that have kind of been guiding us through our study of Mark's gospel. And we finished that study last week. 
But I wanted to take a few moments this week to process a little bit more together. So this is going to be a little bit different. Typically, we have one particular text that we open and kind of walk through that together. But this morning, kind of in the spirit of what we've already been doing, we want to process these three questions a little bit. Now, I can imagine in the ancient times when a new community of believers was formed and they got uh, probably at that point, a portion of the Bible, because the whole Bible hadn't even been compiled yet, what would happen in those believers' um, gatherings is they would read that text together, and then they would say, now what? <laughs> now what do we do? How does this inform how we're to live and to practice our faith and to follow Jesus? Now what? And so that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. So the first question that we've been looking at is this question of who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He was, he was a Jewish craftsman turned prophet, teacher, leader who claimed to be the Son of God, a.k.a. God in the flesh. Jesus was loved by many, hated by the religious and political elite who eventually had him killed. But as we celebrated a couple weeks ago, he was then resurrected and he was seen by many, the resurrected Jesus. And then he ascended into heaven with a promise that he would return. Then what? Well, before he left, he gave his followers a mandate, a mission to share his message and to follow in his ways. And the tangible demonstration of this message and of this following is the church. Like you and I, not the building, not the thing we go to once a week. This is where the church gathers. But you and I are the tangible demonstration of Jesus' message and of his methods. And here's the wild part. I looked this up this week. There are about 195 nations. I say about because things happen, right? <laughs> but there's about 195 nations on the earth. And there are followers in, of Jesus in every one of them. What started in the Middle East absolutely exploded in the years following Jesus' resurrection, and now a third of the world, over 2.3 billion people, claim to follow Jesus. Christianity, according to the Pew Research Center, is so geographically widespread, so far-flung, that no single continent or region can indisputably say the center of Christianity is here. So if you're an American, you think that's the United States. Wrong. <laughs> no one region in the United States can claim to be the center of global Christianity. More than a third now about 37% are in the Americas, so North and South America. About one in every four Christians lives in sub-Saharan Africa. And about one in eight Christians is found in Asia and the Pacific. Years ago, actually 20, almost 22 years ago, uh, I'm old, getting old now, I can say things like this, um, I got to visit a church in Nepal. And in this church, to get to this church, it, it took us hiking four days up the mountain. And I remember visiting this church, and there was, the pastor of the church was there, and he traveled around to do these different villages. And he said, um, he said, join with me. And there was eight of us that had made this trek. 
and we're going to have a worship service with the church. And so we went into this dusty, dark building with no electricity, and we were sitting there waiting for the church to show up. One by one, people came. When four people were there, the pastor said, we can start. The church is here. That day, we you know, tripled the attendance of the church because there's eight of us and four of them. And I remember thinking, wow, what a different expression of the church than this, right? Than what I grew up experiencing. So this is 22 years ago in, in Nepal. Uh, since then, the, the church in Nepal has exploded, once a Hindu nation. Now there is uh, one of the fastest growing churches in the world is in the country of Nepal. It's estimated to have uh, quintupled in size <laughs> in the last 20 years. Amazing, right? God's church is everywhere. But meanwhile, we live in America where Christianity is actually declining. Isn't that interesting? The church is exploding everywhere, but Christianity in America is declining. In fact, many sociologists are looking at the future of the American church, and they're saying it's diversifying big time because most of the immigrants that are moving to the United States are Christian already, and they're joining these local churches. So the church is getting more diverse in America, even while it is declining among American citizens. Why is Christianity in America actually declining when it is growing so rapidly in other places, Sub-Saharan Africa, East Asia? So this takes us to our second question. We know, most people in the, in the United States know who Jesus is, kind of. What they're not sure about is this question. What does it mean to follow him? Uh, Billy Graham, now deceased, famously said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who deny Jesus by the way that they live. What does it mean to follow Jesus? The, the very first call of Jesus wasn't, hey, come hang out at my party or or come to a meeting that I'm assembling, the very first call of Jesus was, follow me. Follow me. It was an invitation to know Jesus and to, 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 to get to see how he's calling us to live. In our series in Mark, we use this uh, kind of as the graphic for it. And if you don't know, the, the, it's a split image here. The, the image on the right is Israel. The image on the left is where? Seattle, I hope you know that. Rainier, the Seahawks Stadium right there, right? Iconic imagery. The, the idea with using this image is to show how the movement of Jesus started in the Middle East and now it, it affects us in Seattle. We're, we're here. We're meeting in this building because of that. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is where I'm going to ask you to contribute this morning. Following Jesus is a lifelong call. But it's also a huge stumbling block in our current day. In the last 20 years, there's been this massive emphasis on leadership. In fact, I did a search on Amazon Books and found that there is over, get this, over 60,000 books 
with the word leader or leadership in their title. Now, that denotes something, right, about American culture. We want to be in charge. <laughs> I want to be the king of my own castle. I can't help wonder if the church in America has lost sight of Jesus because they've forgotten what it means to be a follower. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So let's take a few minutes this morning and, and think on this question a bit. For you, when does following Jesus feel like a burden? When does following Jesus feel like a burden? When you have to get up early on Sunday morning and your parents drag you to church? When does following Jesus feel like a burden? What surfaces in your heart when you hear that question? When you might be rejected by others. Yeah. May else? When does following Jesus feel like a burden? <laughs> when he's not coming through how you want him to come through in prayer, huh? Yeah. Yeah. When you're a jerk to your wife. We'll talk after, Mike. <laughs> Right, because you know, right? Yep, yeah, I crossed that line. When does following Jesus feel like a burden? Just want to do your own thing. Ooh, I think that captures a lot. Ouch. Because we want to be what? We want to be our own leaders. Bales. Hmm. <laughs> I would say that for many of us, when following Jesus feels like a burden, it's when we have to put his ways above our ways. When we, have to choose, when we have to choose to say no to the things inside of us, our own flesh, and say yes to him. We saw this in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said to do what if you wanted to follow him? Take up your cross. Later on, there's a young man that came to him, and he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus was like, cool, sell everything you have, and you can follow me. I've been thinking about this recently, my my father passed away. My father-in-law passed away in the last year. My oldest son's a couple years away from graduating high school. At the beginning of the year, I always look at my bank account and my, my, retire, my future retirement. I think about, man, what am I preparing for? And then I think about the early church when people were coming to follow Jesus. They were looking at the excess that they had, and they were selling it all to help each other. And I thought, oh, man, that's not the way that I'm oriented sell it all? You mean my retirement and my future in this short time that I have on earth, there's something bigger than that? 
Something more impactful? When does following Jesus feel like a burden? When I have to put him first. When it hurts, when there's a sacrifice involved. Let me ask another question, though. Let's, let's go on positive. When does following Jesus feel like a blessing? When he answers prayers about septic tanks. <laughs> yeah. Even the little things, right? When does following Jesus feel like a blessing? When you can share your burdens. Yeah. With him and with others. When your prayers do get answered. When he is not silent. When you are loved, when he heals you, yeah. When you see things come alive. I like that. Oftentimes, I think one of the themes through what you all just shared is when it feels like a blessing to follow Jesus is when you see, experience, realize that Jesus has the power you need. Jesus has the power you need. Think about this. In some of your most desperate moments, what you yell out in that moment indicates kind of where your hope is. So I'll tell a story here, a humbling story. Um, A couple, a few weeks ago, I was trying to trim a tree in my backyard, trying to save money. You know, I'm not going to hire somebody to do this thing. I'll do it myself. And I had, I propped the ladder up against another tree that was next to the one I was trying to trim. And as I was reaching up to trim, the ladder, the legs of the ladder just started to pivot. So I reached out to push to push myself, kind of pin the ladder against the other tree, and too late, the, the ladder pivoted. And before I knew it, my feet were level with my head, and I was about eight feet up in the ground. And as I began to fall, what you, where you, your hope is, that's usually where the words that come out of your mouth, right? So let's be honest, a lot of us, uh, it will be a foul word in that moment, <laughs> because we have no hope. <laughs> oh, you know, whatever. I hit the ground, and I I landed so hard on my backside. And if you've ever been in just a major accident, like whether it's in sports or anything, your body, uh, you you can get injured and not know what the injury is, right? Like people, I don't know if you ever had this happen when you were a kid, you know, you wipe out on your bike, and you're bleeding like crazy, and you're like, whew, I'm okay. And all the other kids are like, oh. (laughs) So I knew that from experience, that I just fell off an eight-foot ladder I don't know what's broken, what's bleeding, if I'm ever going to be the same again. In that moment, I said, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because he's my hope. Like, if I'm going to survive this, it's only you in this moment. And thankfully, I'm still able to walk today. I'm a little sore, sore like a month later. But. <laughs> so when does it feel like a blessing to follow Jesus? When you realize that he has what you need. He has the power that you need. If you feel insufficient as a father, as a mother, Jesus has the power for that. If you feel insecure in your relationships or in your ability to provide for your family, Jesus has the power you need. If you are unhealthy in your spirit, in your, in your body, Jesus has the power you need. When you realize this, following Jesus is, there's no better blessing. What does it mean to follow Jesus? 
Here's another question. When have you felt closest to God? When have you felt closest to God? A season of life that you were in, an experience that you had, an encounter. If you grew up in the church, maybe it was like at a Bible camp somewhere, church service. When you read the Bible with your dad, you feel closest to God. That's pretty awesome. How many of you felt closest to God? Getting old. Getting old? <laughs> you feel closer now than you did when you were young, huh? You said when you're not worrying, you feel closest to God, right? You can see and hear him clearly. In the midst of a storm. <laughs> when you read his word. Say that again. When we sing, when we worship him, you feel close. That's amazing. Yeah. Your focus is on him. Nature. Hmm? Nature. Nature, when you're out in his creation. Oh, I, can, I can relate to that one. Playing sports. Playing sports. Hey, hey. <laughs> Unless it's golf, then that year, no. <laughs> It's important to remember these moments when we felt close to God, not that we always try and recapture them, but we're reminded that it's possible, that it's possible to be close to God, that there are moments where he surprises us with his presence. One of the common themes when I ask people this question is they've often felt closest to God when they've run out of themselves, when they're in their toughest moments, when they don't have it all together. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. He's a comforter. He's our guide. When have we felt closest to God? One more question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? When have you felt distant from him? In sin. When you're, not doing, when you're doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. When you're trying to do it on your own, yeah, it, whatever it is, huh? Yeah. I got this, God. We do that all the time, don't we? Right. We only say, God, help me when we're falling off a ladder. <laughs> but the other times, oh, no, I'm skilled, I'm healthy, I'm, I got a bank account. Like, I got this, God. But when we don't. Hmm. Anybody else? When have you felt distant from God? We need to remember these things, too. We need to remember what, what it was like to be close to God, but we also need to, to, to remember those moments when we felt distant from him and hopefully use them as motivation to never feel that way again. I can imagine Peter when he denied Jesus three times and, be, and literally withdrew from him. He couldn't have felt any more distant from God in that moment than he did. But here's the thing, and you got to know this, people. First of all, when we are distant from God, it's always because we remove ourselves from him. He never leaves us. It's always on us. But he is always there. And he's actually, we see from Scripture that God is a pursuing God. 
out of his love, he won't let us get away for very long. If it's our sin, then our sin will come home and we'll have to pay the prices of that. And God can even in our sin allow us to see him better, come to a place of desperation. How many times has our identity been placed in something and when that's taken from us, then we realize, oh, I'm so far from God. So when you have felt distant from him, remember those things as well. So let's rephrase the question from what does it mean to follow him to what does it look like to follow Jesus? For the first followers of Jesus, Jesus called them to be his what? Disciples. Discipleship looks like being an apprentice. And so when Jesus came and he called his disciples to follow him, they just hung out with him. They listened to the words he was speaking. They saw the way he interacted with people. They they learned by watching and by doing what Jesus did. It's interesting that the first disciples were fishermen. How many many people fish here? Uh, Just a few, okay. Yeah. I don't know anybody that has learned how to fish, I'm sure it's more common now, by just going out and doing it. Almost everybody I know that has, was taught to fish, uh, they had a father or an uncle or a friend, somebody that said, here's how you do it, and they showed them. They watched them how to do it. And so Peter and Andrew, the, some of the first disciples, they had learned how to be fishermen from their father by watching him. And so when Jesus called them to follow him, it was a similar process. Watch what I do. So to be an apprentice of Jesus means that they were learning his message and his ways and making it theirs. I'll say that again. To be an apprentice of Jesus means they were learning his message and his ways and making it theirs. Man, I am still doing that. It is a lifelong process. And so if someone were to ask you, what is the message of Jesus? Would you be able to share that with them? What is the message of Jesus? If somebody were to ask you, what are the ways of Jesus? Like, what's the Jesus style? The Jesus culture? What are the ways of Jesus? Does it look like that in your homes? Can you demonstrate that in your interactions? And so here's why I think as a church... And I I mean church in America, we need to recapture the heart of an apprentice in our lives and our Christian culture. We live in a pluralistic society. That means that we have these different beliefs that guide us. So in politics, you know, I'm gonna my allegiance is here. In matters of faith, my allegiance is here. And because of this pluralism, Typically, one thing wins out over the other. Jesus is calling us to follow him and him alone. What, are the mess- what is the message of Jesus and the ways of Jesus? So these are questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves because in doing that, we will find ourselves following Jesus better. And so the last question we've been asking is, what are we inviting people into? What are we inviting people into? 
We're inviting people to know the message of Jesus, which is good news. One of the reasons the message of Jesus is being so readily received in Nepal is because it brings a hope that Hinduism could never bring to that country. Until just a decade or so ago, Nepal was the only uh, officially recognized Hindu nation. They said, this is what we believe. This is how we order our society. Everything about Nepal is based on the Hindu belief. And so the church comes in, the message of Jesus comes in, and it begins to share a message of hope in the midst of Hinduism. Because one of the things about Hinduism is they have what's called a caste system. There are levels to society. And if you are born into a family that is affluent, then you're at the top of the, the, the caste. That is where you will be. If you're born into the bottom, a family that is poor, that is a servant, that is the caste that you are born into, and that is where you will forever be. The message of Jesus flips that caste system on its head, and it says all have privilege, all have rights, all have grace, all have God's favor. And so this radical message of Jesus, how it's infiltrating the the country in Nepal, is those of lower caste are saying, wait a second, this is not true about me. As God's son, as God's daughter, I have an inheritance. And so this is what this is what hope looks like when the message of Jesus takes root. And so we could ask, what about America? What about America? How does the message of Jesus influence America? When you think of of what people need, it's clear in America that people are afraid and many are without hope. They're afraid. Financial security, climate change, gun violence, Massive rise in suicide. People are afraid and they're without hope. It's clear that people are confused. (laughs) On the one hand, we're exhorted to follow the science as it relates to climate change or the pandemic, but then we ignore it as it relates to biological identity or unborn children. So what message of Jesus does our nation need to hear? The message of Jesus comes into American culture in grace. It leads us into truth, and it gives us what so many are looking for, hope. Listen for lack of hope from your coworkers, from your neighbors, from your friends, from your social media feed. You'll hear it. You'll see it. As followers of Jesus, you and I have what the world needs. We have the message of Jesus. But that's way too impersonal when we say the world, right? You and I have what your coworker needs. You have what your family member needs. You have what your neighbor needs. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And listen to this last, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Isn't that good news? It's amazing. We may feel weak 
We may feel like, like a jar made out of clay, and we may be weak, but God continues to show himself to the world through people just like us. And so I, my prayer is that the church in America would recapture this power. That as a church here in Renton, that we would know Jesus, that we would follow Jesus, and that we would share Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. And so we're going we're gonna to close our time remembering what Jesus did, the power that he displayed on the cross. And as we take of the bread and of the cup, this is a time to continue to reflect on what it means to follow Jesus and what we're inviting people into. And so this morning, when we take this, it's also a unifying thing. We've been, we've, we've been unified through the songs we've sung. We've been unified through the words that people have shared. We've been unified in the, the transparency. And now we're going to be unified through the taking of the bread and of the cup. And so this is a time for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus to be reminded of the cross that he bore for us. So let's pray together. Father, you are a father. You're a good father. And you love us. And we're, we are like jars of clay. We're imperfect. We're weak. But you have given us your power through your son. And so as we take of the bread and of the cup this morning, we restate together your great love for us. We remember what you did on the cross to make it possible for us to be close with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for each person here. Thank you that we can be honest with you about when we feel, feel far from you. We can rejoice when we feel close. In your name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.